Today we're going to continue on in our study in the book of Revelation. Uh, if um, you're new with us or new to community, we love to walk through books of the Bible. We think that the best way for us to grow and to be equipped is to study uh, books of the Bible in their entirety, verse by verse, chapter uh, by chapter, and we are in the book of Revelation. We've divided the book of Revelation into six sections. Uh, the first section was the letters of the living one. This section that we are in and we'll be concluding today is worship of the worthy one. Chapters 4 and 5, we're in the throne room of heaven, and we see that there is only one that is worthy of our worship. Next week, we're going to begin uh, our third section, Signs of the Sovereign One, where we'll see uh, God's judgment being brought through the great tribulation upon his creation. Today, we are in Revelation chapter 5, uh, verses 1 through 13. Revelation 5, verses 1, uh, excuse me, 1 through 14. So if you would, open your Bibles and read along with me, Revelation 5, 1 through 14. Then I saw on the right hand of him who was seated on the throne a scroll written within and on the back, sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the scroll and to break its seals? And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look into it. And I began to weep loudly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or to look into it. And one of the elders said to me, Weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered so that he can open the scroll and seven seals. And between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders, I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain with seven horns and with seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. And he went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne. And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb, each holding a harp. And golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song, saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals. For you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. Then I looked and I heard around the throne and the living creatures and the elders, the voice of many angels numbering myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands saying with a loud voice, worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshipped. And may God bless the reading of his word. When we look at the reality of our text this morning, I pray that what you see is the hope that we have built our lives upon. The hope that all of the pain and all of the suffering that we experience in this world will pale in comparison to the glory that is yet to come. 
that no matter what it is that you're facing in this moment, no matter what situation or circumstance that you find yourself in, that the truth that we just read in the fifth chapter of Revelation will never be thwarted. It it is reality that is already not yet. It is already because it is so promised. It is so secure by God Almighty that we can say that it has already happened even though it has not yet happened, but our hope can be built upon this. We say as followers of Jesus Christ that we're people of the book and of the blood and of the blessed hope. This is our blessed hope. This is our reality because it is based upon the blood that was shed in the, shed in the revealed word of God Almighty. I was watching with my children the first installment of the Pirates of the Caribbean franchise the, the, the other day. And in it, if you're familiar with that movie, there's uh, an antagonist by the name of Barbosa. And he's kidnapped this lady named Miss Turner, and they're on this ship, the Black Pearl, and she says that she doesn't believe in ghost stories. And he steps into this moonlight, and this moonlight reveals his true nature. The moonlight reveals that he is the walking dead, and he says to her, you better start believing in ghost stories, Miss Turner, because you're living in one. And I would say to us and to the church and to this world around us that we better start believing in curses because we're under one. This world is under a curse from the beginning of the fall where man rejected God as sovereign king over their life and said, no, 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 I want to be God over my own life. A curse has fallen upon humanity, and if we could see as Miss Turner saw on that ship when the moonlight hit Barbosa, if we could see those that are apart from Christ Jesus, if the light could shine on them in such a way that we see their spiritual condition, we would see that there are many individuals that are the walking dead, separated from God by their sin, underneath the curse that can only be lifted by one. And our passage of Scripture today speaks of that reality. That just in that movie, there had to be certain things returned with a blood oath, a blood sacrifice made to undo that curse. So too, there had to be blood that was shed for the curse of humanity to be removed and for us to be restored. And when we look at the world around us and we see all the pain and all of the suffering. We see all of the wickedness and all of the evil. I pray the reality that we find in Revelation 5 would be the very thing that comforts our hearts. For this is not all there is, and it will give way one day to the reality of Christ and his eternal kingdom. I've entitled today's message, The Deed to Earth. We will see as we unpack this text together exactly what I believe this means and what this shows for us. We see here in the throne room of God, we see John the Apostle seeing this magnificent 
display of praise and worship as he sees the one who is seated on the throne and he's in unapproachable light and he sees the four living creatures and he sees the 24 elders and he sees all of this worship that is transpiring. And in chapter 4, we see that the focus is on the worthiness of God the Father through creation. In chapter 5, we see the worthiness of our praise is fixated on Christ the Son because of redemption. But in our hearts and in the heart of this world around us, we see as John notices that there's this scroll that nobody is there to open and he begins to weep, we see a truth of humanity revealed to us in our text, and that is this. There is a longing for our restoration. And each and every one of our hearts, whether you are in the church or outside of the church, you can see in individuals' lives that there is a longing for restoration. That we know that the world that we live in, is it, there is something wrong that is going on in this world. The problem is that even though individuals that are dead in their trespasses and sins are aware that this isn't how the world should be, and so therefore there needs to be some type of restoration, the problem is that dead men are still looking to other dead men for the solutions and the answer of death. But we can only look to one and one alone to truly undo what it is that we live under each and every moment of each and every day, and we do not have the power. This world does not have the answers. Dead men do not have the answers to death. But there is a risen one who has conquered sin and death, and he and he alone has those answers And it is in this text that we see that our focus should be on him. Last week as we concluded this service, as the Holy Spirit touched my my heart and, and thought of the brokenness of this world and the hatred that exists in this world, the evil that exists in this world, the vitriolity that exists in this world. I I began to, to, to weep, and as parents started to come in here for their camp meeting, I was in this room right over here just weeping and broken. Lord, how much longer? Is that not the the, the cry of most of us? How much longer, Lord? How much longer do we have to endure the pain and the suffering and the brokenness and the hatred of this world? How much longer do we have to deal with the wickedness and the evil? Because there's a longing for our restoration, and not only in our hearts, but in creation itself. Romans 8, 19 through 23 says, For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it. In hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, we have the first fruits of the Spirit, grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. Is that not a full expression of our hearts? To be rid of this curse? 
to be restored completely and wholly in our lives and the lives of our loved ones in this creation that we live and walk upon? Is that not our desire? Is that not John in this throne room scene as he begins to weep because he longs for things to be restored? And what we see in the very first verse of this chapter is God's word says that John saw on the right hand of him who was seated on the throne a scroll written within and on the back sealed with seven seals. So the first thing we see is a scroll in verse 1. Now, what is this scroll? Because this scroll becomes the centerpiece of, uh, of what it is that John is seeing in this moment. And this heavenly throne room scene, all focus is now upon this scroll. And it's a scroll that is sealed with seven seals, and it is written within and on. Now, this, this scroll would have looked something like this. I think oftentimes we kind of have the imagery that there'd be one seal and you'd pop it and you'd open it and you'd read it a little bit more and there'd be another seal and you'd pop it and you'd open it and you'd read it a little bit more. But in the culture and the context that John was writing to those individuals, they would have understood what a seven-sealed scroll uh, meant and what a seven-sealed scroll indicated. Because in Roman culture and Roman authority, wills and deeds were seven-sealed scrolls. And what would happen is they would have uh, wax on the parchment with signet rings pressed into each of these. And then on the inside would be written the will or the deed, the inheritance that was due to the individual that the scroll was given to or was named within the scroll. And on the outside would have a summary written on the outside of the scroll of the contents that were in the scroll. And John, he sees this scroll, and in his heart, he understands that all creation is eager for the title deed of the earth to be opened, for the will to be read, and for the inheritance to be given to the rightful heir. He knows that what's inside of the scroll is the deed to the earth. It's the inheritance of the one who is worthy to open this scroll. That the contents of the earth would then belong to the one who is worthy to open that scroll. So a search begins. And so we see in verses 2 through 4 of chapter 5, we see a search. God's word says, and I saw a mighty angel proclaiming with a loud voice, who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals? Who is worthy to remove the curse off of this world? Who is worthy to, to restore things back to God Almighty? Who is worthy of this? And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll and to look into it. And I began to weep loudly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or to look into it. And one of the elders said to me, weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered so that he can open the scroll and seven seals. So a search begins. Who can open this scroll? Who can restore all things? And John begins to weep because a search has taken place and no one is found worthy. In heaven or on earth or under the earth, I believe that is alluding to the Old Testament saints. Well, I believe that, in my humble opinion, are, are resurrected at the second coming uh, of Christ Jesus. In other words, Moses isn't worthy. 
Abraham isn't worthy. Isaac isn't worthy. Jacob isn't worthy. David isn't worthy. Joshua isn't worthy. But so too, Peter is not worthy. John the Apostle is not worthy. Paul is not worthy. Timothy is not worthy. Nobody that has ever existed on this earth except one is to be found worthy. And so because of that reality, John begins to weep. Now, I think there's a lot of individuals that are fascinated with the book of Revelation because it's human nature to be gossips. What do I mean by that? We always want to have the insider information first. We kind of want to know what's going on before anybody else so we can show up into a crowd and just say those famous words, have you heard? We want all attention to focus. I know something that you don't know. And so oftentimes individuals get so caught up in the book of Revelation because we want to know the future. We want to be a step ahead. We kind of want to know something that everybody else doesn't know. We kind of want to have all of these things figured out. And we lose the sense that the reality of the book of Revelation is not so much that we would know the future, but that we would know the one who has secured the future. We would know the one who is supreme overall. We would know the one who is preeminent. We would know the one who is victorious, that our focus would be on the future, our focus would be on Christ. Because that makes sense of our past. It gives us hope in the present and it secures our future. So we see that there have been many people that have tried to bring about restoration of the world. There came a point in time where uh, even the church, I believe, focused in on the reality that. Uh, all we had to do, we could usher in the kingdom ourselves. If, if we were just benevolent enough, if we were just smart enough and wise enough, if we could just keep up with the advancements of, of, of science, then, then we could rid the world of hunger, we could rid the world of disease, we could rid the world of wars, that we in and of ourselves, if we just did things in our own power and our own might, that we could usher in the kingdom of God. And then an archduke was killed, and the first great war broke out, the war that was supposed to win, uh, to, to end all wars. And then the second world war followed up behind that. And we see famines and starvations and new inventions of evil. We see terrorism. We see pain and suffering only growing and increasing upon this earth because church, we don't usher in the kingdom. Amen. He does. He does. He and he alone is the one that is worthy to undo the curse that we are living under. It's not us getting the right economic system. It's not us uh, living by the, the right political structure. It's not us having any types of earthly philosophical reforms. It is Christ and Christ alone. It is him and it is him alone. And we see this search, and we see that John is brought to tears, not because of frustration of not knowing the future, but because of the perspective that the ultimate restor restoration of all things has been thwarted. Before we read verse 5, what John is seeing is that there is no one who can open the scroll. That means there's no one who can usher in the kingdom. That means there's no one that can bring about the inheritance of the saints. So his heart is heavy. 
All the hope that he had placed in the one who would come and restore all things is now gone. The search brings nobody. But we find in verses 5 through 8, we find a solution. We see a scroll that has within it the deed and the title of the inheritance of the earth. We see a search take place, and no one is found worthy to open it until verse 5. And one of the elders said to me, Weep no more. Behold, the line of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered so that he can open the scroll and the seven seals. And between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders, I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain with seven horns and with seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. And he went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne. And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb, each holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. So we see a solution. We see a solution to the search. The solution is that there is one worthy. The solution is a lamb who was like one that was slain. The solution is Jesus Christ. And the scroll is now in his hands. Now notice that the four living creatures, the 24 elders, we'll see angels here in a moment. They all orient themselves around the one who is sitting upon the throne and they always take a posture of worship and praise and they fall down and they worship the one that's sitting on the throne. But we see the lamb approach the one that is on the throne and he doesn't fall down. He doesn't worship because Christ Jesus is just as much God as God the Father. We see this Trinitarian picture of the almighty God here in the throne room. Can I just say that the solution to your dilemma this morning, the solution to your problem, the solution to your addiction, the solution to your pain, the solution to your depression, the solution to your anxiety, the solution to your fear, the solution to your worry, the solution for your marriage, the solution for your children, the solution for your home, the solution for your work, the solution for your entire life is Jesus Christ, the Lamb who was slain before the foundation of the world in order to take away the sins of the world. He is your solution. How many times do we look for other solutions than the one that God has given us? I've sat through, and maybe you've sat through these sermons before where Seven steps to, to, uh, to a perfect marriage. Seven? That's it? There's only seven steps? Oh, do tell. <laughs> seven? That's all I got to do. I got to do seven things, and I'm going to have the perfect marriage? Brother, man, let me know all about I'm all ears. And those seven steps all involve these various things, but very rarely do they involve us relying upon Jesus Christ, who is the ultimate solution. Jesus is the solution. Jesus is the solution for every dilemma, every problem that you find in your life. But how many times do we try to use Jesus as a way to try to find another solution when he's the very solution we're looking for? I remember when my 
son AJ was much younger, and if you have little children, you know sleep comes at a premium at that point and stage of parenting. Now, bad news, good news. You think once they get a little bit older, it gets a little bit better, but then they become teenagers. The good news is when they become teenagers, they actually want to be left alone so they can sleep. So praise the Lord for that. <laughs> praise God for that. But I remember when AJ was, was younger and sleep was kind of at a, a premium. I was trying to let my wife sleep, but I had to, I had to get up early and get out early that, that morning. So I wasn't trying to, to, to wake up. Uh, my wife and AJ was actually sleeping in the bed with us, and I couldn't find my phone. Now, here's, I got to have my phone. I probably rely on my phone way, way too much. Anybody else will, will have time at the altar here a little bit later. My screen time, I get that alert. My screen time ain't ever gone down. I don't know. I need to do something. I got a problem, Okay. So I got to find my phone because I, I need my phone. But it's dark, and I can't flip on the overhead light because my, my wife and my son are sleeping in the bed right there. So it's a little bit of a dilemma. Ah, but if I just had a smaller light, I'd be okay. So I turned on the flashlight of the phone that was in my hand <laughs> to find the phone that I was looking for. I did that for far longer than I care to admit in this moment right now. <laughs> How often do we do that in our Christian faith? Instead of relying upon the solution that is Jesus, we try to use Jesus as a way to find a solution. He is the solution. It's him. It's nobody else. It's him. It's our reliance and commitment to the reality that he is all we need. He is all that we have. He is the solution. We see that reality. So the elder comes over and says, do not weep. Listen, do not weep. We don't have to weep. Now, that doesn't mean that we don't mourn about the brokenness of this world, but we don't have to weep over the future restoration of this world. We don't have to weep over the future of how these things will end. We are victorious in Christ Jesus because he is victorious. Do not weep. God has conquered. Christ is victorious. May we rest in him. But yet we still try to fix the fall ourselves. If you're taking notes, write this down. Things will never fall into place for you until you place the fall into the hands of him. Things will never fall into place for you until you place the fall into the hands of him. In other words, stop trying to fix the brokenness of this world by your own power and your own strength and your own might. It is exhausting. Your worry and your fear and your anxiety is wrapped up in your inability to try to fix the fallenness of this world. Trust in and put the reality that the one who is going to make all things right is not you, it's Jesus. Just as the scroll was in his hand, for he was the only one worthy. In whose hands have you put your life? Another dead man who has no more power over the grave than you do? Or the resurrected Savior who has defeated sin and death and is the only one worthy to restore all things? 
Secondly, we see that there's a lamb for our redemption. Our text shows us that this, this lamb is for our redemption. We see that this, this lamb was between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders. And John saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain. Slain, but standing. Slain speaks of the reality of the crucifixion of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Standing speaks of the reality of the resurrection. He's slain, but he is standing. That is our Savior. The one who died, but he rose again. The one who has defeated sin and death. And he has, in this vision that John has, he has seven horns and seven eyes. Those seven horns symbolically speak of the perfect strength of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Those seven eyes speak of the omniscience of God Almighty. It speaks of the omniscience of Christ Jesus and ultimately speaks of the Holy Spirit that Christ sent into all the world. Now we see that this lamb is for our redemption. In the Greek, this word for lamb is not talking about a full-grown lamb. It's talking about a baby lamb pointing back to the, the, the uh, Jewish tradition during Passover uh, of getting a, a small, newborn, unblemished perfect lamb that would be taken and to be slain, and that is our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. He is our Passover lamb. He is the one who was slain to take away the sins of the world, slain but standing. First Peter 1, 18 through 19 says, knowing that you were ransomed from the feudal ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ like that of a lamb without blemish or spot, that is our Savior. He and he alone is for our redemption. But our text teaches us many things about this lamb. First, we see in verse 5 that the lamb is the incarnate Christ. Verse 5 says, weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. This moniker, the lion of the tribe of Judah, comes from Genesis 49.9. This moniker that he is the root of David comes from Isaiah 11.1. And it speaks of the reality that this, this lion who John sees as a lamb is the victorious one. He is the conqueror. And we see that just as was promised would be the, the root of David, that Christ Jesus fulfills this in his incarnation. There came a point in Matthew chapter 22, verse 42, that Jesus was talking to some religious folk. And he asked them this question. Whose son will the Messiah be? And they're thinking, this is an easy one. You're supposed to be this great rabbi. You're supposed to be this great teacher. David. Everybody knows that. So he points him to Psalm 110. It says, well, then how come it says that he said to, to, uh, that the Lord, my Lord said to his Lord? And they couldn't, they couldn't answer that. And what Jesus is trying to get them to understand is that before the incarnation, Christ has always existed. He didn't come into being. He's always existed. Before there were ever even 12 tribes of Judah, Christ existed. Christ is omniscient and omnipotent. He's omnipresent. He has always existed. He is eternal in nature. But yet he willingly humbled himself to the point of death on a cross that he took upon flesh of humanity to come to this curse-ridden world so that he could die on the cross for your sins and my sins so that one day through faith in Christ Jesus, we could be restored and we could be made whole and we could be made new. We see that he is 
our solution and that the Lamb is the incarnate Christ. We also see that the Lamb is our great intermediary. Revelation 5, 8 through 9 says this, that, And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the Lamb, each holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. So then they sang a new song saying, worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals for you were slain and by your blood you ransomed people for God. He's our intermediary. Now this bowl that is filled up with the prayers of the saints, what, what, what do we really think in the context of the grandeur of this chapter of scripture? What do you think are these, these that comprise this, this bowl of prayers? For Aunt Myrtle's hangnail? For the exam that you're going to take this week? For some other thing that it's not that God doesn't care about every little detail of our life, but in the context of what we see here, these prayers and the, the focus and the intention is on the coming kingdom of Christ. These are the prayers of God's people when we have no other prayer to pray, where we're not just trying to fill in silence in our community groups when we're taking up prayer requests. This is when you have nowhere else and nothing else to turn to, and you are down on your knees, and you have hot tears that are filling up your eyes, and you are begging God to move in your life or in the life of a loved one in such a way that everybody would have to stand up and take notice that God did that in God alone. You been that desperate lately? Have you been that desperate lately? Maybe we would see a greater revival in this earth if we stopped complaining on Facebook and started crying out in desperation to God. Have we been that desperate lately? God, where are you? Are we looking to ourselves in our own power, in our own strength, trying to find the solutions? But we have a great intermediary. See, our sin has caused a great chasm in between us and a perfect and a holy God. And there's only one intermediary who represented a perfect and a holy God to sinful man and who can represent sinful man to a perfect and a holy God. And all of that came together on the cross of Calvary. And all those who place their faith and trust in Jesus Christ are redeemed because he intercedes for us and our sin to a perfect and a holy God. And he bestows upon us righteousness from God Almighty to us, not because of anything that we have done, but because of everything that he has done. But who is this for, you might ask? Well, we see that the Lamb is the incarnate Christ. He is the redeemer of our souls. The Lamb is our great intermediary. In verse 9, we see that the Lamb is inclusive. He says, you ransom people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. Who is Christ for? Christ is for everybody who will come to him in faith. Now, let me put a caveat to that. He is exclusively inclusive. Jesus Christ says there's not many ways to God the Father, there is only one. For he is the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through him. It's exclusive, our Christian faith, because there's only one door that you can walk through. But it's inclusive in the sense that everybody who walks through that door in faith will be received, redeemed, made a new creation in Christ Jesus, forgiven of their sins, and welcomed into eternity, and given a kingdom that can never be shaken. 
every tribe and tongue and nation will be a part of the kingdom of God. How awesome of a reality that is. I read an article the other day that was um, both encouraging and discouraging all at the same time. I read about this great movement of God that took place in South Korea and how there are many churches that are in South Korea, many individuals that have come to, to faith in South Korea because of the missionary works of uh, 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 our country sending over uh, missionaries to South Korea and spreading the gospel message of Jesus Christ. I was encouraged by the reality of the work of God Almighty through his people that will say, here am I, send me but discouraged because in that article, they are now sending missionaries over to America to share the gospel with Americans. Think about that, church. They are sending missionaries to a country where in many places there are churches literally on every block because they're coming over with a missionary uh, 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 bent to come and to spread the gospel to individuals in our own country. And in many contexts, the nations are coming to us, but we still need to go to the nations. And may we be found faithful to share the good news of Jesus Christ wherever we go. I love what Francis Chan once said. He said, Christians are a lot like manure. As a pastor for eight years, I can, I can, I, I see that in myself, and I see that in humanity. Okay, Christians are a lot like manure. If they just pile up together, they stink to high heaven. But if you spread them out, they cause everything else to grow. We're called to spread. We're called to share. We're called to go. And I pray that we would be found faithful to do just that because when we do, that is when we see great growth in the world around us. The Lamb is incarnate Christ. The Lamb is our great intermediary, and the Lamb is inclusive. Thirdly, we see in our text that the Lord, uh, that there is a Lord for our refreshment. That there is a Lord for our refreshment. We see that. John stops weeping. We see that there is one worthy to, to open the scroll. And we see that ultimately all things are made new. That there is a Lord for our refreshment. Because sometimes I think we fail to see Christ as he truly is. I think sometimes we see Christ as this, this, this cosmic space cop that is just waiting for us to go two miles over the speed limit so he can bust us and so that, 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 that he can make our lives more miserable. But that's not Christ. I think sometimes we feel like Christ is disappointed that people get into heaven. Like he, he's playing middle linebacker and, and he's trying to keep as many people out of heaven as he possibly can. If you happen to get past, well, okay, I got to take you. He doesn't really want individuals in heaven. It's just, man, if they, if they get past me, I guess that's just kind of what they want. 
Sometimes I think we, we, we see Christ as this individual that is stamping on the fingers of those individuals that are trying to climb themselves up to heaven because it's up to us. And if we just try hard enough and if we climb fast enough and if we're smart enough and wise enough and good enough, then we can get past Jesus who's trying to keep people out of heaven. And he's sitting there laughing at people as he stamps on their fingers and they fall back into a pit of despair. Oftentimes that's how we view Christ. But Christ isn't sitting there stamping on fingers of individuals that are by their own works or trying to get into heaven. He willingly laid down his life to pull you up out of the muck and mire, to pull you out of darkness, to pull you out of sin, to place your feet on a firm foundation that can never be shaken. That's our Savior. He's the Lord for refreshment, for his yoke is easy and his burden is light. Far too often in our Christian life, we, we walk around like serving Christ and being a follower of Jesus and being a son of God or a daughter of God is the most burdensome thing. He's a Lord for our refreshment. He's a restorer of our soul. He loves us. He calls us his beloved. He died for you so that he could be with you. And you could be with him for all of eternity. He is a Lord for our refreshment. I pray that we would understand that and relate to our Savior that way. Acts 3, 18 through 21 says this. But what God foretold by the mouth of all the prophets that his Christ would suffer, he thus fulfilled. Repent, therefore, and turn back that your sins may be blotted out, that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, and that he may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus whom heaven must receive until the time for restoring all the things about which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets long ago. Now, this is Peter preaching at Pentecost, and ultimately he is talking to the Jewish nation here and fulfilling what will come at the end of the great tribulation. I believe that that God Almighty paused his work with the nation of Israel during the church age. And when they are raptured out, the great tribulation, which is also known as uh, the time of Jacob's trouble, uh, focuses it back on the restoration of the nation of Israel, of removing the ignorance off of their eyes so that they see the Messiah as he is and they place their faith and their trust in Jesus Christ. As Paul talks about in the book of Romans, how they are grafted back in. But we see this idea that at the coming of Christ Jesus, there are times of refreshing that come in the presence of the Lord. If you need a fresh touch from the Lord, it is to understand that every promise that we have in God's word is yes and amen in Jesus, that he is returning, that he is coming back, that he is making all things new, that the, the sorrows and the pain and the struggles of this world will one day pale in comparison to the glory that is to come. And therefore, as Revelation verse 5, 9 says, Jesus is to be praised. Look, they sang a new song saying, worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation, and you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. Now, notice maximum participation. Everybody is singing in heaven. Some of y'all, y'all going to be miserable in heaven. We laugh, but sometimes we come in here and it's just, now, notice they sang a new song, not an old hymn. Uh-oh. Okay, all right, I'm not going to go there. It's too late in the sermon. All right. They sang a new song. Some of y'all that don't like change, listen, that, 
here's the thing about being Baptist. There are two things that Baptists don't like, the way things are and change. <laughs> We're going to be given a new song. Jesus is to be praised both then and now. Jesus is to be proclaimed. Look at verse 12. That these angels number in myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. Listen, he is worthy to be proclaimed. He is worthy for you to share with other individuals. For he is the one who was slain for your sins and for their sins. And the only hope they have and the only hope we have is Jesus. He is worthy of us to proclaim with our lips and our lives. Not only that, Jesus is to be preeminent, Revelation 5, 13 through 14. And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying to him who sits on the throne into the land, be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. All of creation, may we join in. May Christ not just be prominent in our lives, but may he be preeminent. May we rest in him. And the reality of what we read in Revelation chapter 5. Now, there's an old story that preachers like to tell. I've heard several preachers tell that I think is fitting and provides a good illustration for where we may all be in this moment right now. It's about a man who had to get to work, and he took a train to work, and he had a very important meeting, and he couldn't miss that train. If he missed that train, he would miss that meeting. And it was pouring down rain as he got ready to leave his house and to go catch this train to make it to work. And he walked outside, and he saw his son out in the rain playing in the mud. I mean, he is just playing in it. He's gone full Schwarzenegger and Predator. I mean, he's painting himself with the mud, just out there, just in it. And he stopped and he thought to himself, the preacher said one day, be a teenager and we'll sleep a lot. Praise the Lord. And he started to to go to make his way down the street so that he could make his train. But he didn't get very far out into the front yard when he slipped and he fell right next to his son in the mud. And his son has no care in the world. His son doesn't have anywhere to be. His son's just enjoying the mud. But he has somewhere to be. So he gets up and he tries to clean himself off as best as he possibly can, but... He knows that on that train, they've got a restroom where he can clean himself up. If he can just get to that train, he can clean himself up, he can get clean, and he can make it to that meeting. So he hurries, and he makes it to that train, gets cleaned up, and arrives where it is that he desired to be. Now, in that story, it paints a picture of humanity because we're either one of those two individuals. We're either a child that doesn't see the need to leave the muck and the mud and we're actually playing in it 
or we're the father who has slipped and fallen. And although we are muddy, we see our need to be cleansed. We see that we can't stay in that mud because we weren't designed to be in that mud. We've got something far greater than to stay in that mud. And if we can just get onto the train of salvation, there is a fount of every blessing. There is a fount that is the blood of Emmanuel's veins that if we will come in faith, if we will place our faith and trust in Christ Jesus, he will clean the mud off of us and he will safely bring us to our desired destination where we will be with him for all of eternity and the question is are you the one that is playing in the mud thinking that you have nothing greater than that mud to play in are you the one that sees your great need to be cleansed are you the one that sees your need for Jesus to do for you that which you cannot do for yourself because you're either one of the two and as followers of Christ sometimes we slip and we fall back into the mud but Christ never tires of us coming to him he welcomes us with open arms regardless if it's the first time or if it's the millionth time. He desires to cleanse you. He desires to free you. He desires to champion you to the point that you stand before God Almighty spotless and blameless and free of wrinkle because that is who our Savior is and that is what our Savior does. If you're tired of the mud, know there's a fountain. If you're tired of all of the muck and the mire, know there's one who has died for you to set you free. Will you receive in faith that, tr- that truth and place your trust in Jesus today? Would you bow your heads and your hearts with me?